the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, Festus and Agrippa determine that Paul has done nothing wrong. But because Paul appealed to Caesar, to Caesar he must go. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 26, verse 21. The title of the message is Thriving in Shackles. Well, shackles. Not something we ever want to see, let alone experience, right? Not usually a good thing. I got pulled over one time. I don't remember. My light was out or something in the back, and, and the guy asked me for... I don't remember what it was, license or something. And, I, you know, you have that moment where you look down at the wallet and you go, there's no wallet, you know, and you're like... Oh, this is bad. And so he made me get out of the car. I'm in the middle of 1792. makes me get out of the car. And he, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, what is he going to do? You know, and I'm terrified. He's, and he looks at me and he goes, based on the fact you don't have a license, I could put handcuffs on you right now and take you to jail. And that thought, the thought was just awful. When me and Bev were driving back from Bible college, one of our roommates was driving back with us and we were trying to get there as soon as possible. So we didn't stay anywhere. So we were at a rest stop for a little bit, just take like a two hour nap. So the girls went off to, you know, one side of the, the camp and, you know, I, we were not smart, but, you know, at, you know, three in the morning, whatever it was. And, and I went off to another side. I, I just lay down on a picnic table and, you know, go to sleep. I get woken up by a cop. And he's like, sir, he said, which car is yours? And I said, well, this one. He goes, that car is stolen. Our car had been stolen when we were out at Bible college, and we apparently had never taken it off the, the thing. So he put me in the back of the car. That was horrifying. My wife thought it was hilarious, but I, it was horrifying for me. You know, because the officer's like, is, ma'am, is this your, you know, because the car was registered to her. And is this, is this, do you know this guy? And she's like, uh-huh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, so that is not something I ever wanted to do again. So when he pulled me out on 7092, I'm like, please, officer, just let me go home. I'll never forget my wallet again, you know. From birth, we long to be free. Every, every little baby, they're trying to climb out of the crib, right? We long to be free, unchained and uninhibited in what we're trying to accomplish. And while most of us hopefully will never experience incarceration uh, for anything, especially for our faith, there are circumstances that may make us feel like we are chained with no options and absolutely hopeless. And what fascinates me about Paul's incarceration is that he's the freest person he interacts with. In all of his experiences, he's the freest person. He might be chained to a Roman soldier, but it doesn't stop him from accomplishing God's work. 
And so as we see Paul thriving in these horrible circumstances, might it remind us as we read in our word that Jesus is never bound, right? He's never bound. He is still working. That's been our theme, right? We're coming to the end, but that's been our theme that Jesus is still working. He is still working even in the midst of our shackles. So Acts 26 and we'll pick it up in verse 21. Now remember, Herod Agrippa is here because Festus has no clue what kind of charges to send off to Caesar when he sends Paul to Rome. And so he's asking for advice. And so Paul tells his story and he shares his whole full-on testimony. And he explains that in verse 19, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. I did exactly what the Lord told me to do. And in doing so, he says in verse 21, that's why they want to kill me. You know, I've been preaching that men should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. That's, that's a good sermon. And he says, that's why they want to kill me. So verse 22, he continues and he says, having therefore obtained help of God. In other words, they've been trying to kill me for a while, but God has rescued me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day. I'm still here. I'm still here witnessing both to small and great. And at this point, he's witnessing, uh, witnessing to the great saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. That the Messiah, that Christ, the Messiah should suffer, that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and that he should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. So Paul concludes his defense by just saying, this is what I'm doing. And he preaches the gospel. That Christ should die, rise again, and be a light to all the world, including the Gentiles. Now, the idea that the Messiah could die, could rise again, and could be bringing light to the Gentiles was so foreign to his people. And Herod would know that. Herod, as being partially Jew, would know the things that Paul was saying is totally opposite of what the expectation of the Messiah was for the Jewish people. Paul says, this is all I've been doing, though, is that's what Moses and the prophets say. The nature of Paul's preaching consisted of explaining that from the first promise of the Messiah in Genesis 3.15 to all the lengthy prophecies of Isaiah about the Messiah, that this is the consistent message of the Old Testament. And anyone who does a honest survey of the Old Testament has to agree with that. Paul preached Jesus. We talked about that last week, that we have to stay on task. And this is what it means to preach Jesus. Don't ever grow frustrated explaining the life, death, and resurrection and work of Jesus to people. Because with God's help, you're going to be okay. You know, they might not like it. They might get offended. They might even make negative comments. They might just want to shut you down, but it's okay. Don't ever get frustrated because that's our task. That's our job to preach Jesus. Now, in this whole story we're going to look today, we're going to see two circumstances where Paul is thriving in the midst of his chains. And the first one is here. Because at this point, Festus interrupts, verse 24. And as he thus spoke for himself, I mean, he's, he, you can imagine Paul's probably pretty passionate. And he's saying this to all these dignitaries. And Festus interrupts him and says with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. You are going mad. You're going crazy. He says, but much learning does make you mad. Specifically, your study of the Bible, it has made you insane. Festus is of the mindset that many have today toward the Bible. Paul, it's just a bunch of fairy tales. Studying it so vigorously is causing you to lose your grasp on reality with this talk of visions and people rising from the dead. But Paul, in verse 25, he says, I'm not losing my mind. I'm not mad. Most noble Festus. Festus kind of insults him and Paul doesn't insult him back. 
He says, most noble Festus, but I speak forth the words of truth and soberness. Or there I mean sense and sensibility. I speak forth the most sensible thing. In Greek language, the way it's wired is every word has its opposite. And, and this is the opposite of madness. I am more sane than anybody in this room, Festus. I am more sane than anybody in this room. Everything around me makes sense in light of the scriptures. Everything does. Even the things we're experiencing in our culture now, it makes sense in light of the scriptures because the Bible talks about this. It prophesied this. It makes sense. Intellectually, I find zero comfort in atheism, evolution, or humanism. None. You know what I find in that? I find confusion and contradiction. That's what I find. Because you go to the end game of this and you know, okay, let's say it all came from a big blob that exploded. Who made the blob? Well, you know, we just don't know. Well, that's not good enough for me, okay? <laughs> when Bill Nye and Ken Ham had their big debate, you know, he kept talking about that's the wonder, that's the joy of science, and I don't want that. I want something more sure. I don't want to wonder where it concerns what's going to happen when they put me in the ground. I would like to know now. <laughs> and I want to know how I should live my life in light of that fact. I can't wait for you to figure it out. I'm going to go with the one who was actually there when creation happened, who was an eyewitness to it and says what happened. I find confusion. I find contradiction. And so Paul turns to Agrippa at this point because he knows Agrippa won't think he's crazy because he trusts the scriptures. He says, for the king, verse 26, knows of these things before whom also I speak freely. You've given me the opportunity to speak freely, but the, again, the truth is, Paul's like, I'm not inhibited anyway because God's word isn't bound. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. He knows about Jesus. His, his grandfather tried to kill him. <laughs> he knows about Jesus. He tried to kill and murder all those babies. You know, his, his, his uncle, he, he, was, he was the king who put James to death. He knows about this. This wasn't done in a corner. And he turns to King Agrippa and he says, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. There's a bit of debate on that translation. Some say that the word there almost means by, by few words or by such a little speech or such a short time period, you would you know, want to, you, know, you expect me to be convinced from just this little talk. Then there's others that say that, wow, with just a few words, you have actually, you've made me think about some things. But either way, Paul has been faithful to lovingly share the gospel with not just Agrippa and Festus, but all of these dignitaries here. His love for the lost is thriving, even though he's in chains. And is that kind of love thriving in, in me when others sneer at or deride me for my faith? Then in the midst of all these, Paul, you're insane. Or, or Paul, you know, you think you're just going to convince me with one speech? That Paul would just say to them, you know, I mean, he actually says, he goes, he goes, I would to God that not only you, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. Paul's desire, I just, I just want to see people free. Listen, I, there's a lot of things I like in life, Okay. I have a good life. I've been blessed that my, my children are all very healthy. You know, my, me and my wife have had many years to enjoy marriage together. I have had a great life. And there's things that I enjoy in life. 
But there's nothing that I desire more than to see people just walking with the Lord. Nothing more. I don't care. Do it. Say what you want. Treat me however you want. Think what you want. I don't care if you think I'm crazy. I just want to see you come to Jesus. So say what you want. I'm going to keep telling you. Well, when he had thus spoken, the king rose up and the governor and Bernice, his sister, and they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves saying, this man does nothing worthy of death or of even imprisonment, bonds. And then said Agrippa unto Festus, this man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. And this is a bit of a rebuke from Agrippa to Festus. You should have let this guy go. I, I have nothing to say. I can't give you anything to say for charges, man. If, if you'd have let him go, it had never gotten and escalated to the point where he would appeal to Caesar. You should have let him go. And so Festus, the whole reason he's called this whole thing together was to get help, and he doesn't get it. And he's going to have to figure out his own explanation for Caesar. We don't know how that story ends. We don't know what he said to Caesar and what he wrote there. We do know that when Paul got to Rome, that Nero lets him go. There were no legitimate charges that were there. We also know that Festus dies two years later. You know, someone asked me this morning, they came up to me and said, what would you say to a man or a person who only had three minutes left to live? Most of us don't know that information, right? We don't. And I thought, man, what would I say? It, it, there's no more time to play games. I'd just be like, repent. <laughs> you got 180 seconds. I'm sorry, 179, 178. Repent. 175, 174. You know what I mean? There's just, at that point in time, there's, there, there's no time. Most of us don't have that luxury. Festus, by all our understanding, was a young man when he came to this place of hearing Paul preach the gospel. He may have never heard the gospel again. This may have been his one shot and he just brushed it off as you're going crazy. Well, he sends him off to Rome. And so in chapter 27, when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band. And entering into a ship of Adramidium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia. And one Aristarchus, the Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us, and the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. When we had launched from there, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us thereon. Paul is now turned over to Julius the Centurion. Sailing would normally take about three to four months. It would obviously take much more time by land, which is why they went by sea. This trip, though, will end up taking seven months due to weather complications that we'll get into in a moment. But it mentions here that he was turned over to this guy named Julius, who was a centurion of Augustus's band. Now, these were imperial centurions, so not the senatorial ones, which meant they reported directly to Caesar Nero. Most of them worked abroad on missions from the emperor that we wouldn't know about, of course, while the rest would serve as his personal bodyguard. Now, his primary reason for being there was probably to oversee the transfer of these other prisoners, the word that means of a different kind. These were likely criminals who were headed to the Colosseum to die fighting against gladiators or against the wild beasts that the people would enjoy watching them eat. So he's probably there to make sure these guys get safely to Rome so they can kill them. And 
Paul just happens to end up going with him. Festus says, take him with you to Rome. And so they enter into the ship of Adramidium. That's where the ship was from. It's way up on the northwestern coast of Asia Minor. And there we launched, and their goal was to sail by the coastline of Asia. They wanted to go up around that way until they could find a ship that was headed to Rome. And so they do that, and it mentions here that Aristarchus and Luke are with them because now we see the we again. Remember Luke's the writer? So he says, we, Luke is with him. So these two guys actually stayed with Paul during these entire two years because Aristarchus was part of that team that brought the offering from all the Gentile churches to Jerusalem. Paul's been in jail for two years, so he didn't go back to Thessalonica. He actually stuck it out with Paul, kind of became a voluntary prisoner, so to speak, because he, he was there with him. So Luke and him stayed with Paul, and, and, and now he's on the boat, and they, they get permission to go with Paul as well. But it mentions here that as they're traveling, they, they land in Sidon, which is still by Israel. And Julius, it says, courteously entreated. He was very kind to Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. Now, that's not something you would do normally because if you're a Roman soldier and you're entrusted with prisoners, if those prisoners escape under your watch, guess what happens? Whatever their judgment was supposed to be, now you experience it. So that was a good incentive to not let it happen. That's why the whole idea that the Jews bribed the people at the tomb to go away so that the disciples could steal Jesus' body is absolutely absurd. No Roman soldier in his right mind would do that. We have already read multiple times in Acts where Peter was set free, and what happened? Herod killed all the soldiers, right? So that's just how it was. So these guys don't generally just let their prisoners, yeah, go see your friends in the city. But this shows here that at some point in his incarceration, Paul had earned this man's trust. At some point, he'd earned this man's trust because we, we're actually gonna see him treat Paul favorably on the entire trip. And that's a, a good point because what, what impression do people have of me when they meet me? You know, do they get the impression that I'm trustworthy or do they get the impression that I'm lazy or a gossip? You know, what's the first thing that they think about? Do they see a person of character? They should see a person of character. And we talked last week about the three ways that you share your faith. You pray, you preach Jesus, but then you serve, right? And part of serving is just in our character. And Paul's character won this guy over and allowed him to go see his friends. So when they launched from there, verse four, from Sidon, we sailed, that's in modern day Lebanon, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. They used Cyprus as kind of a, a protection for them. They're, they're sailing on the north side of Cyprus rather than, than going under and around. I know it says under, it just means under the cover because the winds were blowing them in the opposite direction of what they wanted to travel. And so they used it to break the winds on the mountains of Cyprus. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy and he put us therein. Now, this would be one of the massive, massive grain trading ships, which would be the normal mode of travel by sea to Rome. If you wanted to get to Rome, you just wanted to get on one of these ships because they were so large, nobody messed with them. They usually had a lot of soldiers on board. It was a safe way to get there. Now, for it to be this far north, though, was kind of weird because it means that it had probably been blown off course by the contrary winds since Rome is that way. And they went straight north from Alexandria. So, but they got on the ship. And in verse seven says, when we had sailed slowly many days and scarce were come opposite of Nidus, which is actually the last port city in Asia Minor before you head out to open waters. He says, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmone. That's a little port on the east coast of Crete. 
And hardly passing it, we came into a place which is called the Fair Havens, near whereunto was the city of Lycia. So as they're trying to leave and go due west, but the, the winds were contrary, and so it was with great difficulty. They actually just kind of, as they're going kind of southwest, they end up coming to the coastline of Crete. And, and so they get there, and they sail under the, the cover of Crete, and they come to this place called the Fair Havens. So what's interesting, uh, Crete, the reason they tried to get that way, and they worked really hard, is because uh, Crete is this island that's about 160 miles long, and it's the top of an underwater mountain range. So, so it actually comes up to about 7,000 feet above sea level all over the island. The southern part of it is not inhabited because the slope is very steep on the southern part of the island, and most people are on the northern part of the island. So they're coming down on the south side to get the cover of those, those things so they can get more control of their, their ship and then maybe wait out the, the contrary winds and then head to Rome. And so they come to this place called the Fair Havens. Now, this is a really tiny harbor. It's the last protected spot because the island starts to curve north at that point. And so as, as they come to this place, they, they stay here because the winds still are contrary and they're thinking this is the last place we can stay for the winter if the winds continue to stay against us. The problem is, is it's not the best place to stay for winter because it's not protected from all the storms that would come north from the Mediterranean. So they don't want to stay there, but they're kind of just kind of waiting things out, hoping the wind gets better. Verse 9, now when much time was spent, I've been waiting a long time, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said to them, sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and the ship, not only of the, of the, the property and the money, but also of our lives. We, we need to not go. Uh, the fast is referring to the Day of Atonement. So we're in, into October now. So they, they are now at a place where it is not safe. Navigation on the Mediterranean was considered uh, safe until October, and then you wouldn't travel again until March, okay? Now, you might try the beginning of October and maybe at the beginning of March, but it was absolutely impossible to ever sail in mid-November to February. You just never did. It was too dangerous. So, you know, I was thinking if, if we go and we get caught in something, we're going to end up getting stuck out in the Mediterranean at the very worst time. And Paul says, I have done that before. I am not doing it again. I don't want to do it again. Because he explains, I perceive, and the word there means to be perceptive from past experiences. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty five before this trip, that three times he had, he had been shipwrecked and one, one time he had spent an entire day and night just floating in the ocean. No, thank you. <laughs> I can't imagine how horrifying a shipwreck would be. But did you be out there floating? You know, I know if I were out there floating, I would see every sea creature imaginable, you know? And, 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 and I, would, I would probably just die right there. No animal would have to get me. I would just have a heart attack and just be gone. Paul says, I have had the experience to know that continuing this trip is going to be disastrous. Don't do it. But, verse 11, nevertheless, the centurion, it says he believed the master or the captain of the ship and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. They want their money. They just stay here all winter. They, you know, then they go and deliver their grain. Then they have to come back. It's, that's almost like a whole trip that, that's missed. And so they're thinking, we want our money, no way. We're gonna go for it. 
And because the haven was not commodious, or their means to not suitable, not usable, the bay would leave them unprotected against winter storms from the south, which is true. But also the crew would become very restless due to boredom. And you know you don't ever want to keep a, a ship crew. You know, they all turn into pirates at that point. So you don't want that, you know. It would be say, there would be no partying going on here, okay? There, there, there's no, there's little fair havens. You know, it was fair because it was pretty, not because there was anything going on there. And so they, they just said, let's not do this. Um, let's do something else. Their goal was, um, let's by any means, if we might attain to Fenice or the city of Phoenix, and there will winter, which is a haven of Crete and lies toward the southwest and northwest. The idea is this was a beach town on the western tip of Crete, about 40 miles from Fair Havens, and it's mild temperature year round because of the cross winds that it mentions here, made it a more desirable port for the crew. They would have plenty of entertainment there, plenty of things to do, and so they're figuring, let's, let's make for that. It's only 40 miles. How, how hard is 40 miles, you know? And, and so verse 13, the final nail in the coffin comes when the south wind blew softly. So now the winds changed and the south wind that would blow them north back towards Italy blows softly. And they figure we can at least make it to the city of Phoenix. And so they, that realizing they had obtained their purpose, yeah, this is what we want to do. Loosing from there, they sailed close. They stayed close to the coast by Crete. Let's make it to the city of Phoenix and we'll winter there. Well, it doesn't work out so well for them. Lord, you are for us. You are not against us. And we declare, we believe that, Lord. We believe the truths of your word, that you are interceding for us, Lord, that you have justified us, you've washed us, and therefore nothing can separate us from your love. So Lord, in the midst of those shackling circumstances. We cry out to you now and we, we say, Lord, we believe you're going to see us through this. We trust you. Now, Lord, would you show us what you want us to do that as we endure, others might be saved. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.